Oak Grove Cemetery had risen to ask Mrs. Minerva Place to dance. The resting place that slept beneath a canopy of stars and branches and moss and granite winked at eternal constraints and offered Mrs. Place an engraved invitation, a bevy of invitations. Each gravestone vibrated with intrigue. She was compelled to learn more. The stories, all the people who are buried there all had their own stories, and they're just fascinating to me that these lives have come and gone, and all we have left is this marker. Hello, and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful. And today I am so happy to be joined by Tracy Buchanan, author of the novel Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. People here really care about their history. They care about who they are. They are proud of who they are. Tracy Buchanan is an award-winning journalist and has worked as a magazine editor and freelance writer for over 30 years. She's now happily planted in the world of fiction with her debut novel, Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. She and her husband Kent live in the UNESCO creative city of Paducah, Kentucky. They have two married sons, seven shockingly perfect grandchildren, and one very mixed-up dog. Today, I'll be talking to her about her debut novel, Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. So I'd like to start with you just telling me a little bit about your hometown of Paducah, Kentucky. I've never been there, uh, so can you describe it for someone like me who's who's never visited? Sure. Well, actually, um, we're a big, small, little town. Does that make sense? We, have, we are a UNESCO creative city which is a a very, very impressive designation, actually, when you realize uh, that there are so few UNESCO cities uh, worldwide. But we are, um, we were named that primarily because we have a quilt museum here and we have a huge following of quilters. The National Quilt Museum is here. And right now, even as I speak, we've got uh, about 30,000 quilters who have descended on our town which is not much more than 30,000 people. And they are having the time of their lives looking at quilts. So um, there's the arts aspect of Paducah is very strong. There's a a group of artists that have uh, taken over a neighborhood and uh, have, they've come to Paducah from all over. So it's a, very versatile little town. It's on the river. It's on the Ohio River and where the confluence of the Ohio and the Tennessee River meet and uh, has has a lot of history because of that river. Uh, it's, it's a pretty little town. We just finished our dogwood trail up and 
uh, azaleas and dogwoods all across the city were lit up and you drive around and look at them. It's, it's a quaint town. Lots of uh, old buildings are, are left and have been uh, revitalized. And uh, people, people here really care about their history. They care about who they are. They are proud of who they are. Uh, we're in Western Kentucky, which, and we're about halfway between St. Louis and Nashville. That puts it on the map a little bit for you. Um, sometimes we feel like we're forgotten over here in Western Kentucky because most of the government is done in Central Kentucky. But um, we have we're about thirty minutes away from two gorgeous lakes, huge lakes, Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley. And um, anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I could just keep talking. Sure. No, it, it sounds lovely. I had no idea there was a, a faction of dedicated quilters out there that would come to a museum and conference like that. I, I wonder what it would be like to be a fly on the wall for that. Well, it, 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 they're amazing. It, these quilts are not like your old grandma's quilts. They are works of art. I mean, they are just phenomenal. And uh, it's it's a treat to go in that museum and see the quilts that they've acquired through the years are beautiful. Well, let's, let's talk about your novel, Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace, which is, of course, takes place in Paducah. Um, I want to know about your main character, Minerva Place, and just how she came to form in your mind. Well, Minerva was born out of necessity. I had written several several dramatizations for our local uh, parks department. They sponsored a, uh, a cemetery tour and they would have a person, the person who was buried in that, in that grave site would come to life and tell their stories. And I was the one who wrote these little histories up. And so um, I came up with probably about 30 different people over the course of the years that they had these tours and I'd researched them and uh, just learned so much about them. There's so many fascinating people buried here in Paducah and decided I wanted to do something more with it than they weren't having the tours anymore. So I wanted to do something more. And that's when Minerva Place entered my mind she was going to be the person who introduced all of these other, um, all of these other people. And so I made her someone who loved to do research, uh, but was a little bit of a, uh, she didn't want to get too involved with people. She was very much a recluse and uh, an introvert, even though she was the, uh, the organist at the local church and taught taught piano lessons. She was a widow and she she really was a little prickly and a little sarcastic. And the most she felt when she when she felt the most comfortable it was when she was writing these characters. And so the characters would come to life to her and appear in her house. She didn't know if she was going crazy or if this was actually happening. So she was very concerned that people not know that was going on. She didn't want to be labeled as a, as a kook. So um, that tells you a little bit about her. She's only 52, but she thinks she's much older because her parents both died when they were in their 50s. So she's concerned about, she's very concerned about death. 
and concern that people not get too close to her to, to understand what's really going on with her. And she's kind of a, a curmudgeon, is she not? And, and in literature and storytelling, those are usually older males. Can you talk about, you, you know, flipping the script there a little bit with a female character like that? I think Minerva is is mostly she's dominated by fears and she's afraid because of she hasn't been accepted by her parents in the past. Her family kind of considered her an outsider. Uh, then the marriage that she had was, I don't want to give too much away, but it was, it was a difficult marriage. And then when she found herself on her own again, after her parents had died and after her husband died, she, she was scared. And so this scare, this fear that she had hid behind snide remarks. She would, she would not really judge people, but she judged people and, um, and felt very, um, very defensive. So that's why she became the way she became. That's why she's a curmudgeon because she's trying to protect herself emotionally. You talk a little bit about the inspiration for this novel of writing these short monologues for uh, characters in the cemetery. I'm also curious to know more, and this is kind of a two-part question, about um, Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon River Anthology, with which you reference as maybe some inspiration for the story. And you write... Um, as I tried to imitate masters, my exclamation marks grew limp. They curled over and wilted into a pile of unachievable literary dreams. <laughs> so I'd like to know more about this anthology and how you kind of um, doubted yourself in being able to achieve what masters did. Well, are you familiar with Spin River Anthology? Are you? I'm, I'm not. Okay. Um, it's an it's a old book. I can't I've got it nearby here. I can look and see what, what date it was uh, published, but it is a collection of poems. And uh, these, these poems, each one is about someone who is, who has died and is buried there. And they, they end the poems end up connecting to each other. So you start finding out the details about these people's lives. Like it'll be a poem about, say, uh, a poem about oh Beatrice Walker. I don't, I'm just pulling that name out of the air. And you find as you continue to read the poems that Beatrice was involved in another person's life. And then that person's life was involved with another person's life. And the secrets start coming out about the people in this town. So the Spoon River Anthology is, uh, it's a tribute to a small town, but it's also uh, a nod to the fact that there, there are lots of secrets in a small town that, that go unknown. And what of uh, your, your attempts to, you know, achieve a high level of, uh, you know, trying to make your writing flow and, and come to life? Um, did you doubt yourself through the process? Uh, I I did. I knew I wasn't going to be able to write uh, poetry, even though the, the poetry was not uh, typical poetry. But it required such 
such planning that I don't think that I have a mind that can comprehend planning out a whole town and all the relationships that existed and what caused one thing to happen and what caused another thing to happen. So I found myself thinking, okay, I want to introduce these people and I need to have somebody who will introduce them for me because I was trying to connect them myself, but part of my problem was all of the characters that I had researched were from different time periods. So Spoon River Anthology is a, takes place over the course of a few years of, of these people's lives. So I didn't have I didn't have that going for me, and and so that that made it difficult to make them connected um, because they were separated by so many years. A lot of the reviews that I've read mention just how funny the book is and your characters are. Was that something that you inserted into the story intentionally, or does that just come across naturally because of who you are? Well, I am somebody who loves to laugh, (laughs) and I did not want to write a book that was dark. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, the characteristics, the things about Minerva were sad and dark and a lot of the people's lives that she explored were hard and difficult. And I just know that as a reader, I, I wouldn't want to read something that was just totally dark. And so I wanted to insert some humor and there's a lot of humor in life period. If you're, if, if you've got your eyes open at all, you see funny things every day. And, um, I just wanted to, I wanted to, not, uh, I wanted to include humor to make the point of the of the difficult things that were involved, but to make them without uh, without depression. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you're you're dealing with the people who are deceased and some some really heavy topics. So I I can see how that. You need to 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 lighten it lighten a bit and, and and remind us that we're all we're all a part of the same thing here. We're all part of the same process. So I think that's great. Minerva, uh, it surprised it has surprised me that people th- see Minerva as so um, such a curmudgeon. I mean, I I knew that she was, but in in my heart, she's a very tender person, and uh, she. She's very sensitive and uh, uses, you know, uses her observations of other people as a way of uh, protecting herself. And so it's it's surprised me how many people have called Minerva prickly. <laughs> sure. I'm curious. So you you you've been writing for a, a long time and but you came from journalism to fiction. What were some of the challenges of writing fiction that you, you didn't expect? Well, I didn't, I didn't anticipate how you stopped, how how I was so uh, trained to, to keep things factual and uh, direct and and simple, Uh, you know, journalistic writing, typically is not uh, flowery or it does not have a lot of description. 
there there is some in feature writing. There's there's some of that, and that's mostly what I did. But um, it was very freeing to be able to write something and describe it down to the a detail and uh, to let my pen, if you will, I write on a computer, but to let my pen just flow with describing who these people are, where they're living, what it looks like, and uh, losing myself in a, in a fictional world. Really a treat. Yeah, you, you weren't nearly as constrained. Right. But were you, were you challenged to learn more about the craft, and, and how did you go about kind of discovering those things? Did you have an editor to help you along? Oh, I absolutely learned along the way. I've gone to many workshops, many writing workshops. I read everything that I can read about it, study the craft. And uh, and yes, uh, at, at Regal House Publishing, I had an editor who worked with me. Before that, I had hired a developmental editor at one point, and she was, she was wonderful, Laura York. And she worked with me in, in winnowing down. I had quite a few of, the, of these characters that Minerva was describing. And the challenge was to make it more of a story. Minerva had to take over. And so uh, I had to winnow down all the, the number of characters that I had introduced because there were just so many. And it detracted from uh, her story. Can you talk a little bit about recreating the historical setting? How much research did you have to do about the town that you are so familiar with? And what did you learn about the town that you didn't realize was there even after, you know, living there for most of your life? Well, I, uh, it wasn't that difficult for me to put myself back in the fifties. There were, there were lots of pictures. Uh, Paducah was booming in the, in the early 1950s because of a, a government plant that was put here. Paducah started being called the atomic city. So um, in, in the fifties, it was uh, there, we have lots of uh, literature from that time. Uh, Irvin Cobb was a famous famous writer. He came from Paducah and lots of his books are set in Paducah. So I could read what they were, what it was like, um, even though his time was a little bit before the 1950s. Uh, In the, in the 1950s, we had a vice president in the white house. um, Alvin Barkley came from Paducah. So we were, it was really a a golden time in Paducah's history, the, the early 1950s. And there was lots that I could um, look look at and and see pictures of and th- that made it easy for me to picture what it looked like. I like the the title and the cover as well. Um, Toward the corner of mercy and peace was that always the title? Did you have some other titles in mind? And how did you finally arrive at that one? Well, when I first started writing the book, I in my mind it was Minerva Place. It was um, just the the character's name, and then. As I wrote uh, and and had different feedback from from people, I remember I was sitting in a writing workshop in, uh, let's see, I think it was Lexington, and a, a person was 
giving me feedback about the manuscript. And she said, oh, here's your title. And it was Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. And that is a place in the cemetery where Minerva likes to go. And there is, all the streets are named Charity, Mercy, Peace, um, different avenues like that. And, and one of the places that she goes is toward the corner of Mercy Avenue and Peace Avenue. And so that that became the title. And I love the title because I think it really shows uh, the themes of the book also. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I love that. I didn't even consider that those were the street names, but it makes sense now that you bring it up. Uh, what was the publication process like for you? Did you face a lot of rejection? Um, was it pretty straightforward? How did that go? I did face a lot of rejection. I, um, But I just was naive enough to think that I could get it published if I kept trying. <laughs> so I just kept pushing. I, I tend to be very persevering. And um, I think because I had been a journalist for most of my career, I had a, a fairly tough skin. I was used to people criticizing my work and uh, used to hearing different opinions about um, about what I had done. So my feelings weren't hurt every time I got a rejection. I just thought, okay, well, it's not them. And I kept on pushing forward. But um, toward the end of of uh, I was trying to find an agent during that time of rejection. I was trying to find an agent. And then my writing partner suggested to me that I might just try some of these small presses that um, some of these smaller public publishing houses were doing quality work. And so I did some research and, and found, found one that I felt like was doing really high quality, producing high quality books and, um, submitted to them and they accepted. Well, that, that's great. Um, do you have any advice for writers who might be listening about going through that process? Well, I think when I began, I did not understand what the advice, the advice given to me was, you know, research the agent, understand who they are and what they really want. And don't send things to agents that, are not on their list. And in the beginning, I had a much broader view of what, what I thought agents would be interested in. And then as I went along, I realized what that meant, that to do as much research as I could about the agent, to find where they had given interviews online, uh, articles they'd written, maybe if they had a blog, and I would read all those things to discover if it was a good fit. And at, at in the beginning, I didn't understand that. I just thought anybody that uh, represented fiction or historical fiction or women's fiction, I thought they would be interested in the book. Yeah, and, and ultimately, it's worth the time to do that extra research because you save so much time on sending out, you know, queries that'll never be read or that just don't have a chance, and you save yourself some of the rejection too. I think right. Absolutely. So I have to imagine you've spent an awful lot of time in the cemetery. How do you feel being there? What's that like for you? I love cemeteries. I um, it, it, They just fascinate me, reading the things that are inscribed on, this, on the gravestones or 
seeing how one site might be just whittled down to nothing by the by the weather and thinking all the years that it had been there. And um, the stories, all the people who are buried there all have their own stories. And they're just fascinating to me that these lives have come and gone and all we have left is this marker of that, of that life. So um, I do a lot of I do a lot of imagining as I'm going through cemeteries and just supposing, you know, what what was this person like? What what did they fear? What did they love? What what was their morning like when they got up in the morning? Who did they who did they trust? So all those questions that Minerva asks herself about these characters, I've asked myself. I actually volunteered in a cemetery in my college at my college Salem West Virginia and they had lost the records of the cemetery so I had to go through plot by plot and mark down who was there and put it on a map and um, I loved it I it was so peaceful and and they had a nice view up there on top of the mountain and yeah I I, I think I agree with you there about your imagination can really run, run wild and there's just for me, something peaceful about it. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very peaceful. So your your novel, from what I can tell, has received quite a positive reception. How does that feel? It feels great. <laughs> it feels great. You pour so much of yourself into it. You spend a lot of time uh, by yourself. And I'm an extrovert, so that's that's not easy. But you spend a lot of time by yourself. You write and you rewrite and you rewrite and you rewrite and you think, is this ever going to happen? And then when it does and people are kind and accepting of it, then it's it's just the best feeling in the world. So are you hooked on these characters and this setting, or are you moving on to something else right now? Well, I've, I've written two more books, uh, and neither one of them are historical fiction. They're both contemporary fiction. But I, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to let loose of Minerva. And I have ideas for other books that would involve her and and some more of these characters. So I'm definitely not crossing that off my list. And for readers that want to find your book and learn more about you, where can they do that? My website is tracybuchanan.com. That's Tracy with an E. And uh, there's all sorts of information, more than they'd ever want to know about me on that website. (laughs) Well, Tracy, congratulations on your book, Towards the Corner, Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. And thank you so much for joining me. I've had a, such a good time talking to you. Oh, good. Me too. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. nuclear plant and no I'm not sure that that's not nuclear
you have to edit that out. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but anyway, okay, no, no problem. Okay, it was a large.